Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Pray on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. 
Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Welcome to the Secret Teachings Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. We are broadcasting this evening around the world on the Fringe FM, the Fringe FM app, TalkStream Live, the Paranormal Radio app, and more. You can download those apps for free for your mobile device and listen to the Secret Teachings and the Fringe FM Whenever you have time to do so, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your morning or afternoon or night to join us this evening, July 20th, 2021. A lot of stuff came together for tonight's broadcast, and we'll get into that momentarily. First, I want to let you know that if you missed any of our broadcasts from last week, you can subscribe to our show archive on the website, That will get you access to all of the broadcasts after they air to download and stream them, along with our montage archive. There are 70-plus montages in there. I thought of actually just doing a montage show or a couple of montage shows where we just play montages. Uh, They're fun to make. They're fun to listen to. And uh, you get access to all of those with your show subscription, plus you get access to my digital books. All of that is available on the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's thesecretteachings.info. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. That's rdgable, G-A-B-L-E, at yahoo.com. Com and find us on social media, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings. I've also gone out and found some affiliate sponsors to help with the show. Uh, we sell uh, very little. Uh, haven't sold anything for a long time, if I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, but we used to sell water filters through Pro One Water Filter. Uh, I let the company do all the work in terms of the product. You can just visit our website and click on the Pro One Water Filter Affiliate link at the top of the page. Go to their website. Whatever you buy, it doesn't cost you anything additional, but it supports the show, as does our second affiliate called US Plus Health. Whether you need it for yourself or your business, US Plus Health uh, Health is an American-based company using American products, American labor, and they manufacture clean, pure isopropyl alcohol, something you can use for your medical kit, hand sanitizers, and hydrogen peroxide. They have a variety of different types of these products, different mixtures, different uh, dilutions. You can check them out at usplushealth.com or, again, our website, thesecretteachings.info, with a triple W. And on that website, you'll find 
US Plus Health, and Pro One water filters at the very top of the page in the slider bar. Those are the ways you can support the show. We also have Patreon. I'm building that up now. Our Patreon, I think I'm going to actually add more to the tiers that are available uh, with some show archives or something. I'm working on that. If you have any recommendations, some people have been sending me some ideas. Uh, I've actually been getting totally inundated with emails and people that I usually communicate back and forth with frequently. uh, I've not always been able to respond back because I've just been overwhelmed I've just been flooded with uh, emails, which is great because I know just based on that response that we're reaching more people because a lot of the emails are are new listeners. Uh, And of course, we welcome you to The Secret Teachings where we do something a little bit different than most other radio shows, or at least I try to do something different than most other radio shows. If you missed it, Friday night, I did another radio show with Joe Roop on Lighting the Void. Comes on right before the secret teachings. Some of you probably are just coming over from from Joe and LTV. Uh, Was on with uh, Joe talking about uh, consciousness and fear, perception, and energy. And Joe and I were discussing toward the beginning or the first hour of the show how sometimes if you just sit back and you have a, a, an intention that is to help other people and to have some form of universal support provided for you, um, I'm not talking necessarily about money, but you're just feeling energy it usually leads you to where you need to go. So tonight's broadcast is just a really incredible combination of of so many things that have happened over the weekend and last week. And I'll give you an example of where this began. Last week, I was just flipping through some news, and I came across an article about how China is planning to send rockets into space to divert an asteroid that could wipe out life on Earth. Now, if you read the article, the asteroid is a 78 billion kilogram rock called Bennu. Some of you probably know that Bennu is part of Egyptian mythology, and Bennu has a relationship with the Egyptian god Osiris. And we're going to talk about that as well tonight, the name of the rock itself, Bennu, and Osiris, and why NASA likes to play on Greek and Roman and Egyptian myths in the naming of their missions and their programs and the things that they are working on and producing. But that's kind of secondary, because when I was reading this article, it says... Chinese researchers want to send more than 20 rockets from the country to practice diverting asteroids away from Earth. So they're just practicing. Nobody said that Bennu is going to hit Earth. It's not going to hit Earth. It's not going to cause widespread devastation. But China is experimenting, just like the United States is experimenting. In fact, 
the United States has a program called DART, the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, the DART test, and the launch for that spacecraft, the window for it, begins November 24th, 2021, so a few months from now. It's going to launch aboard a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket from Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. So the Chinese, and this is July of 2021 for context, the Chinese are planning to launch a number of rockets to divert an asteroid as part of an experiment, as part of a test. Scientists at China's National Space Science Center found in simulations that 23 Long March Five rockets weighing 900 tons when they leave the planet, if they hit simultaneously, could divert an asteroid from its original path by nearly 9,000 kilometers, 1.4 times the Earth's radius. So it's a far distance, but in terms of space, it's still really not that far. A lot of this is, of course, relative and, 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 and hard to uh, comprehend uh, in terms of size and space and, and, and whatnot. But I, I read that article... And the first thing I thought about, because I, I haven't watched a really good uh, action movie for a while, uh, and I think the closest thing to this new movie I watched was uh, probably the last time I watched something like this was the movie 2012 with John Cusack. Uh, there's a new movie that came out. It's on all the streaming services, and I'm sure that you've probably heard of this at least. I hope that you have. It's a pretty good movie. Uh, it's called Greenland, and it's about a, a comet, a big piece of space debris, moving in the direction of Earth. NASA and the space agencies of the world had been tracking it and figured that there might be some fragments that would hit Earth and strike the ocean and that the uh, the other fragments would pass by the Earth and, and nothing would happen. Uh, the planet would be unaffected. Well, if you watch the trailer of the movie, you'll see that things don't work out so well. Large chunks of the rock smash into the earth, beginning with a direct impact on central Florida. Uh, And uh, this movie is a little bit different than other movies like this because it kind of has, it has some really good computer-generated imagery. It's kind of horrifying uh, to think about it especially because I'm, I'm from Central Florida. <laughs> it's a big asteroid, uh, big comets, some big space debris that strikes strikes the surface of uh, the planet, and uh, it's an extinction-level event. That's what the movie's about. Uh, and, and, you know, I watched that movie, so there's a lot of things coming together in my head. I watched that movie probably, well, it was around the time it came out, so it's been a couple of months. Uh, and in the movie, uh, really before you know what's going on, you start seeing these big, uh, cargo transport planes. There's a scene at the beginning where uh, it's Gerard Butler. He's uh, at the store with his son, and they look up in the sky, and you you could just see these these contrails of like dozens of giant cargo planes flying across the sky. Uh, and that was m- months and months ago. And I got this really eerie feeling uh, when I was traveling on my vacation. Uh, I went out of, out of town for a month. Um, my fiance Hope and I, we traveled all across the United States. Um, contrary to popular belief, it really doesn't cost that much money if you do it the way that we did it anyway. Uh, but we made it out to South Dakota, uh, met a listener named Ryan out there. So big shout out to Ryan. And uh, we uh, 
we went to a place that I I didn't really think that I knew I would like it because of the history, but I didn't really think it would be as cool as it was. And that was Mount Rushmore. And while we're up there at Mount Rushmore, uh, we looked up in the sky because we heard this sound and, and she had never seen the movie Greenland, but there were a bunch of big cargo planes flying over. Um, and it was, it just kind of spooked me because it was really uh, visually similar to what I saw in that movie Greenland. So, you know, I'd watched this movie a while ago and I had this like eerie moment at um, Mount Rushmore in, in South Dakota when I was there a few months ago. And uh, that was really the last time I thought about asteroids or comets or anything like that until I saw this article about China planning to launch rockets to uh, experiment on diverting asteroids away from Earth. And so I read that. The article came out July 9th, 2021, from The Independent and a few other news sources picked up the same story. And when I read that, I thought of the movie Greenland, and I thought, you know, I remember back in 2016, NASA was talking very publicly about their near-Earth object preparedness strategy. They actually produced a document in December of 2016, kind of like the UAP report of NEOs, or near-Earth objects, and this was their national strategy. Uh, this actually uh, was a product of the Interagency Working Group for Detecting and Mitigating the Impact of Earthbound Near-Earth Objects, NEOs, uh, of the National Science and Technology Council. So I remember that. And then when I was reading about what China is planning to do in this experiment, they're planning to fiddle with and play around with this uh, 78 billion kilogram object called Bennu. And I immediately thought, well, Bennu, I know, is an Egyptian deity. Uh, Bennu is an extension of the god Osiris. Bennu is the bird like the phoenix. Bennu is a solar symbol. And Bennu was thought to be the Ba, or the soul, of the chief god of Egypt, Ra. The Bennu bird was thought to have flown over the primeval water, or the Nun, Nun, uh, of Egypt, and landed on a rock, crying to break the silence of non-creation to determine what would then unfold as part of creation. That's sort of the backstory on Bennu. And so as I'm reading that, I thought, let me go to my symbol book and let me just look up the Bennu bird. And uh, then I'm going, and I thought in my head that I'm going to look up Osiris. I know a lot about Osiris, one of my favorite myths, uh, anything to do with Osiris. And I started, I started to pull the book out. And as soon as I pulled it out, and I, I laid it on the floor, it kind of opened, the page kind of opened and it opened literally directly to a seemingly random section on the god Osiris where they mention the Banu bird. And I start I start to read that. I took a few notes in my head and uh, I opened it again to another page uh, for something else that I was looking for immediately. So I thought, oh, this this needs to be discussed tonight on the show, especially considering that it just 
and I didn't think about it until uh, Saturday night when I was kind of preparing the show, but today is also the anniversary of Apollo 11, July 20th, 1969. I'm Ryan Gable, and we're going to expand on all of this tonight right here on The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is The Secret Teachings Radio on The Fringe FM. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hear more while supporting the show, visit the website, thesecretteachings.info, and subscribe to our show archive. As a yearly subscriber, you can download and stream every show after it airs and get access to the digital versions of each one of Ryan's books. The show offers weekly and monthly subscriptions, or for $50 a year, get access to the archive, montages, and digital books at a discounted price. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the donate button at the top of the page. Your subscription supports The Secret Teachings, The Fringe FM, and you. Alex Exum. My name is Alex Exum, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. Hey there, I'm Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings, and like my show, I like to associate with people and companies who are passionate about taking steps to a healthier life. Pro One Water Filters brings you simple-to-use systems for the home, business, and even the shower. They filter fluoride, heavy metals, and more, and their shower heads stop chlorine from being vaporized and inhaled. I personally use their systems now for five years, and they're worth every penny sincerely. Our other affiliate, US Plus Health, is a small American company specializing in hydrogen peroxide solutions, isopropyl alcohol, and hand sanitizers with no additional ingredients like ethanol, chloride, or methanol. They use 100% U.S. materials at an FDA-registered facility. Their simple, non-toxic formulations are both safe and gentle. They evaporate quickly and leave no residue or stickiness. They're even recommended by the CDC, FDA, and WHO as opposed to other toxic chemicals like QACs. Find links to these affiliates, Pro One Water Filters, and U.S. Plus Health on our website, www.thesecretteachings.info for links, or visit usplushealth.com and type in the promo code TSTCLEAN. Do you want to know more about this strange and weird reality we live in? Join me, Jess Rogie, the host of The Rogie Report, where we explore the unrevealed. Every Wednesday night, live at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, here on The Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. The truth is out there. And so are we. KTLK. Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. This is Michael Strange from Troubled Minds. 
Did you hear that scientists recently discovered radio waves coming from Proxima Centauri? Well, I cannot confirm nor deny we are broadcasting from that neck of the woods. You are listening to KTLK, The Fringe FM. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable. If you want the most unique blend of subjects anywhere on radio, from parapsychology, pop conspiracy, parapolitics, the paranormal, and symbolism, look no further than The Secret Teachings, airing Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM. Our topics, themes, and perspectives are not bogged down by rhetoric or ideological collective associations. It's just raw thought and consciousness. Check us out by visiting our website at thesecretteachings.info or the network fringe.fm. Something is going to hit the Earth again. Just when you thought you have enough trouble to do with on planet Earth, guess what? Now there's a massive asteroid heading our way. It came out of nowhere, a bright speck in the sky, soon streaking across the horizon, followed by an almost apocalyptic scene, a blinding flash of light, and then all hell broke loose. There was an impact in Siberia within the last decade that was caused by an object about 20 meters across. In June of 1908, an enormous fireball devastated hundreds of square miles in Siberia near the Tunguska River. We've got another Tunguska event in our near future. U.S. politicians called on NASA to ask about the threat of future collisions. First of all, it would not be practical to have a laser powerful enough to split it in half. Their questions sounded like plot lines for a new blockbuster, but their ideas weren't actually that far off. The odds of a near-Earth object strike causing massive casualties and destruction of infrastructure are very small, but the potential consequences are so large that it makes sense to take the risk The asteroid Apophis, which in 10 years will pass just 19,000 miles from Earth, basically skimming the surface in cosmological terms. It's the biggest meteor in more than a century to hit the planet. This one crashed in Russia. A thousand people were injured from shards of flying glass and debris. Tonight here, we have learned there was no warning. According to the 2018 White House National Near-Earth Object Preparedness Strategy and Action Plan, yes, that was a mouthful, asteroids of one kilometer in diameter above can cause damage on a global scale. It doesn't even hit the Earth. It, it's an airburst. It explodes in the sky above, fortunately, an uninhabited area of Siberia. But the devastation is huge. The God of Chaos asteroid is a whopping 340 meters across making it one of the largest specimens to pass so close to Earth. To put 340 meters in perspective, that's 13% taller than the Eiffel Tower. Scientists have analyzed how asteroid impacts would kill people, and getting hit by the ejector, meaning space rock and other debris it picks up, is one of the least likely ways to die. The most lethal cause is violent wind generated by the impact blast, followed by scorching heat and massive tsunamis. The course of life on this planet was radically changed by a cosmic impact. This is Bart Simpson. I see something in the sky at 4, 12, 8, and the last number is 7. 
To put in perspective just how close Apophis will be, consider the fact that the asteroid will pass between weather satellites and the Earth. NASA has confirmed that an asteroid larger than the tallest man-made structures on Earth will miss the planet by a few millions of miles. A collision will likely trigger a nuclear winter and mass extinction, but the asteroid is set to pass the planet by approximately 3.6 million miles. The course of life on this planet was radically changed by a cosmic impact. I'm Ryan Gable, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings Radio, airing Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM. The asteroid Apophis, according to scientists, 99942 Apophis, discovered in 2004, after which NASA says it was put on the list of most hazardous asteroids that could impact Earth, is apparently no longer a threat. It was supposed to pass near the Earth in 2029, then again in 2036. There were countless theories on the potential impact of Apophis. Turns out all those predictions were wrong, both by NASA and by YouTube influencers and podcasters. NASA then predicted, along with others, that there would be a potential but a very small potential for impact in 2068. So that's a while from now, in 2068. And now NASA is saying that that is also going to be ruled out, that there really is no threat whatsoever for Apophis. And Apophis should really have no effect on us whatsoever. Apophis, of course, is known infamously as the god of chaos, or the ancient Egyptian deity called Apep, or Epepi, or Aepep, the embodiment of chaos and the opponent of light and order in the cosmos. Apophis, just because of the name, really frightened people. Maybe that wasn't such uh, such a good choice, it was a bad choice, but according to David Framokia, of NASA's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies, a 2068 impact is not in the realm of possibility anymore, and our calculations don't show any impact risk for at least the next 100 years. So if you were worried about Apophis, the god of chaos, you probably should put those worries to bed because NASA said that, well, there probably won't be any impact from Apophis. However, that makes me think of... The movie Greenland with Gerard Butler. It was a really good movie, I thought. Um, maybe could have been better in some ways, but it was. It had a feel to it like the movie 2012. Um, I call Greenland um, a, a much better, more well done, uh, even better acted, uh, better written version of Roland Emmerich's 2012 Um, Let me read you the synopsis. Uh, John Garrity, his estranged wife, and their young son embark on a perilous journey to find sanctuary as a planet-killing comet hurdles toward Earth. Amid terrifying accounts of cities getting leveled, the Garritys experience the best and worst in humanity. As the countdown to the global apocalypse approaches zero, their incredible trek culminates in a desperate and last-minute fight to a possible safe haven. Uh, That safe haven is a bunker, kind of like uh, the ships from 2012. So it had a very similar feel to that. But in the movie, 
in the story, uh, this comet that is approaching Earth, it's been monitored by the space agencies for some time. And they estimated that the comet, which they named Clark, would uh, in part break up and uh, there might be little fragments that strike the Earth. But uh, the largest fragment that they estimated would hit somewhere in, I think it was the Atlantic Ocean and maybe cause some waves and some very minor damage. And that would be it. And everybody would be okay. Uh, At least that's the official story that the public received. But there were certain people in the general public who were selected, I think it was by lottery system, again, very similar to 2012, to uh, be taken to safety because the government, according to uh, the news, had miscalculated, but the government actually knew that there was going to be an extinction-level event. And rather than cause panic, they simply selected certain families to be taken to these bunkers. So there's a scene in the movie before you really learn uh, what's going on. Uh, That's the general synopsis. But before you really learn what's going on, uh, you see a prelude to these giant cargo planes flying over uh, uh, this uh, town that they're they're in, uh, in the movie. And uh, you find out that these planes are headed toward Greenland, where all of these bunkers are, uh, where it's estimated that people will be uh, much safer there uh, and hopefully can ride out the end of the world. Well, although Apophis isn't really a threat to us, and maybe it never was a threat, uh, just consider the possibility for a moment, not to frighten you, but that NASA and uh, various space agencies around the world might be wrong. And maybe they're wrong intentionally. How would you deal with a situation in which you work at NASA or you work at, you know, some governmental agency and you find out that, okay, this asteroid Apophis, the god of chaos, you give it that scary name. It's approaching Earth and it could hit us in 2029. It could hit us in the late 2030s, 2036, 2038, somewhere around there. It could hit us in 2068. And then you find out, well, I guess it's not going to actually do that. So you inform the public, and that's it. No harm. No harm, no foul. But what if you knew that it was going to strike the Earth in 2029 or 2030? Uh, would people tell us, or would it be like the movie Greenland? Uh, I've been thinking about this. Like, would, would governmental agencies, would space agencies tell us this? Uh, would people not... Uh, end up dead for trying to warn the public. Um, it's just something I was thinking about. But I'm also thinking about tonight that if 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 space agencies and governmental agencies in general, and you know, independent researchers and you know, people that study this stuff for a living, if they do this uh, officially through government channels and unofficially through non-governmental channels professionally uh, and they catalog as many of these near-earth objects as possible um, it should at least theoretically help to protect the earth and help to protect us from potential uh, extinction level events because we could at least be aware 
of objects that could impact Earth within a decade or two or three decades or a century even, and we could prepare to defend the planet from from that. Uh, The problem is, even the most well-organized agencies and governments have only identified a very small number of these objects. According to the 2016, released in December of 2016, National Near-Earth Object Preparedness Strategy, this is what it says, while detection rates are increasing, it is estimated that less than 30% of NEOs large enough to cause regional damage have been identified. These are just near-Earth objects large enough to cause regional damage. It doesn't mean an extinction-level event. Now, you'd imagine that maybe we'd be able to find those objects if they were large enough. But we're, we're only coming up on about a third of the objects, and that's only an estimate that we've found a third of those near-Earth objects. There are things lurking in space that officially could be planet-ending impacts if they were to strike Earth. They are objects that are more akin to Armageddon or Deep Impact or Greenland, which I think is uh, it's a good movie. Uh, it's hard to beat some of these older movies like Deep Impact or um, there's a bunch of older asteroid movies too, but you know, Deep Impact uh, is probably... Uh, I think it was one of the first movies I watched. I was terrified when I watched uh, Deep Impact. I was terrified of asteroids, and you know, I, <laughs> then I watched Jurassic Park. I was scared of Jurassic, you know, dinosaurs when I was a kid. You know, kids are impressionable. Asteroid movies really scared me. Um, I, I think asteroid movies and uh, tornado movies. Like I saw Twister when I was a kid. Twister and asteroid movies really just terrified more more than the Mummy. Uh, you know, more than uh, more than, you know, other movies that are m- maybe more classically scary. I-, I was always scared of things that seemed more realistic. Uh, things that seemed like they could really uh, they could really happen, you know, not some reanimated corpse like the mummy or some magical spell. Uh, but things that are more practical, uh, something that uh, could actually happen. So I was reading uh, this strategy from the U.S. federal government, the NEO preparedness strategy, and uh, looking into some other things like uh, the uh, NASA project, the DART, the double asteroid redirection test, because I was I was looking into some news last week and I, I, sometimes I prepare shows, you know, a week uh, before uh maybe like on a Thursday or Friday for the next week, just to get a little bit of he- a little bit ahead because I still work a part-time job and sometimes it's hard to, to get everything together on, you know, the day that I need. So I, I do a little bit of advanced research. And what I found was that according to Chinese officials, China is spending money and time on sending 20 rockets into space to practice just to practice diverting asteroids away from Earth. Scientists at China's National Space Science Center found in simulations that 23 long March 5 rockets, they weigh about 900 tons when they leave the planet, 
if they hit simultaneously, they could divert an asteroid from its original path by nearly 9,000 kilometers, 1.4 times the Earth's radius. The object that they are looking at is called Bennu, B-E-N-N-U. It is the target of their investigation. Bennu is classified as a B-type asteroid, which means it has a lot of carbon and other minerals, and the asteroid they believe, uh, the Chinese, the Americans, the people who study this, they believe it contains molecules that developed when life was first evolving on Earth. And therefore, there are speculations and theories that, and this goes back to the idea of panspermia, that these kinds of objects brought material to planet Earth that led to an evolutionary uh, initiation, and that led us to the conversation we're having right now. I personally am not so much an adherent to evolution in a traditional sense, but sure, we, we certainly evolve. But I think we need people to define creation. We need people to define evolution before we just bicker over, I believe in creation. I believe in evolution. Well, I think that you can believe in both. And besides, they're both just theories. Kind of like germ theory is just a theory. They're just theories. Some components can be proven to support the theory, but they're just theories. But when you think about uh, panspermia, um, the idea is that an object carrying these very important minerals and molecules and maybe even life itself already formed uh, but frozen in the ice or something to that effect, it smashes into the planet or it grazes the planet, but the, uh, the tail of the object uh, that's created by uh, you know solar radiation melting the ice... Uh, it creates a trail that the Earth passes through, and then those things in that trail uh, end up in the Earth's atmosphere. And whether it's through evolution or it's you know a direct um, a direct uh, uh, association between those particles and the environment, and whatever those little things are, they live and then they they produce and reproduce. And so you think about it like that, and uh, what a what one of these giant rocks really is. It's and spermia, it's a sperm cell. Think about it in esoteric terms, in occult terms. Uh, the Earth is the egg, and the comet is the sperm. That is the macrocosm. Microcosm, of course, is the sperm cell and the egg. And when the sperm cell penetrates the egg, and you have implantation, and you have a, the development of a fetus. Same thing with Earth. Perhaps Earth was impacted by one of these objects or multiple objects, and that impregnated the planet, and that gave way to us as we, as we know ourselves today. At least that's the idea of panspermia. But this asteroid, a B-type asteroid called Bennu, is thought to, uh, it's not going to hit the Earth, scientists believe, but it's going to come within... 7.5 million kilometers of Earth's orbit, and it's classified as potentially hazardous. The chance of impact is 1 in 2700. The date of impact 
or the date of at least the potential hazard is between 2175 and 2199. It's doubtful that uh, any of us will be alive. Uh, it's doubtful that our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren might be alive to witnesses. That's a long way in the future. I guess it depends on if humans are merged with machines in the next 10 to 15 to, what is it, by 2045, 2050 is the Russian initiative, by 2050, 2030 for Google. So maybe if we're merged with machines, we'd be alive for this, but it's not really a threat to us. And so China is just experimenting on this rock. Now, the United States, although we have the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART, it's a mission directed by NASA to the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory, APL, with support from other NASA centers, JPL, GSFC, the Godard Space Flight Center, Johnson Space Center, Glenn Research Center, and Langley Research Center. DART is a planetary defense-driven test of technologies for preventing an impact of Earth by a hazardous asteroid. The spacecraft launch window begins in November of 2021 at the end of the month, about the 24th. And uh, once they launch this spacecraft on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket, they hope to use it to test this method of redirecting an asteroid. NASA says the DART spacecraft will achieve the kinetic impact deflection by deliberately crashing itself into the moonlet at a speed of approximately 6.6 kms with the aid of an onboard camera named Draco, it's interesting, and sophisticated autonomous navigation software. The binary near-Earth asteroid that they're targeting is not Bennu, it's Didymus. That is the target of the DART demonstration. It is 65803, which sounds kind of more like a like a phone number to radio. 65803, that's 65803. Call us now, 65803 Didymus. It's the name of the, the object uh, that NASA and JPL and others are going to be uh, examining. So China is looking to test long march Five rockets, and uh, just off the top of my head, I, I assume they named these rockets after the the communist, you know, the, the long march. I assume that's what it is. But they're going to experiment with Bennu. The Americans, us here in the United States, are going to experiment on Didymus, which is a binary asteroid, uh, Didymus is a Greek word that means twin. So we're going to experiment on this twin asteroid with a moonlet. So those are two things that are happening now in 2021. China is experimenting on deflecting an asteroid. Their program using Long March 5 rockets. And then the NASA plan to use the DART test, the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, which will take place in late 2021. They will be focusing on 65803 Didymus, which is a, a twin-like asteroid, a binary asteroid system, as they call it. So that's happening now in 2021. 
when I was reading about that, I, I found interest more so in the mythology of it. Uh, I came across some other things. You know, NASA has the DART program. Uh, the United States is planning another test called HAMMER, the Hypervelocity Asteroid Mitigation Mission for Emergency Response, which would send more material, about 400 tons of rocket material, to the asteroid Bennu. So both the Chinese and the United States are focusing on Bennu, the U.S. through the DART program focusing on Didymus. And they pick these names, and uh, people have always wondered why. Why does NASA names out of Greek or Roman or Egyptian mythology. You know, we used to talk about that on radio a lot. You know, obviously the one that everybody knows is Apollo, the Apollo missions or the Mercury missions, you know, or maybe you know now about Apophis, the god of chaos or the god of uh, trickery and destruction and, you know, all hell breaking loose, you know, some stuff that we don't want to hit the fan hitting the fan. So we wonder why NASA picks these things. Why does NASA pick these gods or goddesses? And why why do they become the symbols of uh, new scientific advancements exp- or, or missions, uh, things that have never been done before or, or new, uh, new uh, you know, steps forward in human technological evolution and space exploration? And why do they pick these names when traditional, modern, contemporary, let's say it's traditional in the sense that it's historical, uh, and then also contemporary, it's modern as well, uh, science has usually scorned any relationship to observable phenomena and things that are unexplained or things that are relegated to the realm of myth and magic and things like that. And so it's it's kind of weird why these agencies pick these names for these programs or these asteroids or w- whatever they might be. And you have to go back to the origin of uh, the development of constellations. There are dozens and dozens of official constellations. And the constellations that, that we know... Uh, in the Western Hemisphere, um, they might not be as visible or they look a little bit different to those in the Southern Hemisphere. And there are some, uh, you know, that we see the same, but we call them something different. For for example, uh, in New Zealand, the Scorpio constellation is not Scorpio. They, they don't have scorpions running around, so they they named this constellation Maui's Hook or Maui or just Maui, Maui or Maui's Hook. Uh, after their creator god that was fishing one day and pulled uh, one of the islands out of the water, according to the mythos of New Zealand. So we see the same thing as people, but we name it something different based on our culture, based on our religion. And so most of these constellations were named, uh, especially um, they they became part of uh, the mainline scientific uh, literature, in Greco-Roman times, uh, obviously people had observed things in the sky long before Greece and Rome, but Greece and Rome really were were the, the, the foundational structure for the constellations and the myths that we know and 
some of us love today. But obviously you can find variations of those myths and gods and goddesses and cultures all around the world going back thousands of years long before Greece and long before Rome, uh, even some going back further than ancient Egypt into Samaria and perhaps even further back than that. So constellations are things that we've identified and, and we typically associate them with uh, characters, we anthropomorphize them, or we give them characteristics uh, not only of man but of, of gods. We turn them into deities in a way. Uh, there are also things called asterisms. Asterisms are just not official constellations, but we, we attribute certain characteristics to them. And there are a lot of reasons that humans have done this for, for thousands of years. And there's a reason why science and myth and magic have a much closer relationship than we perceive that they do. There's a reason that these things are intimately connected, despite the fact that we're we're kind of told, it's kind of implied that there's no connection between science and magic. When in fact, there's actually a direct connection between science and magic. And I think they support each other. Humans have observed these things in the heavens and they memorized these constellations and they've given them names and told stories about them to do a number of things. To, to, to keep track of time, for example, uh, men and women have kept track of time for fertility reasons, to know when you are ovulating. You can watch and track the moon for this. You can do this today. Humans have used the sky to determine when is the best time to plant and harvest. So they do it for agriculture. We do that today for agriculture. Just we do it by different uh, means of determination. Uh, fishermen know when to go fish based on the, the tide, and that's controlled by the moon like uh, menses or the menstrual cycle and, the, and, and, and fertility. And, of course, the stars, the heavens have been used for navigation. So, obviously, the heavens are just as important to the scientist as they are to the astrologer, or just as important to the astronomer as they are to the astrologer. And you know, NASA has a moon mission coming up in a couple of years. In 2024, they've named the moon mission Artemis. Artemis is the twin of Apollo. Makes a lot of sense because Apollo was the name of the first series of moon missions. And today, July 20th, is the anniversary of Apollo 11. So it is fitting tonight that we discuss this topic about space, science, myth, and magic, and the deflection programs of China and the United States in 2021, playing around with the asteroid Bennu that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, the mythos of it, and other asteroids like Didymus, which is a binary system, to try and determine if a deflection method of a potentially or guaranteed hazardous object, um, if that object could be deflected away from Earth and therefore uh, we could avoid a catastrophic planet-ending, civilization-ending impact. That's what scientists are studying. That's what the Chinese are doing. That's what the Americans are doing. Hopefully they're telling us the truth. Uh, 
I don't want to be scared by the notion that they're not telling us the truth, but it's just something interesting to think about tonight, uh, especially the mythological connection to it. And we're going to get into more of that when we come back from break. We're going to talk about Bennu. I'm Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings. Subscribe to our archive today to get access to all the shows, the montages, my books, everything. www.thesecretteachings.info Stay with us. We'll be back. Lifting the veil and peering into the abyss should only be done with the proper tools. Get them right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. And don't forget to download the Fringe FM app for free for your mobile device. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a practical, balanced, and unique look at the food industry, vaccinations, the theories of disease, and geoengineering, grab a copy of Food Philosophy. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. All three books can be purchased on the website at thesecretteachings.info, where you can read reviews from other authors and radio hosts around the world. Just visit thesecretteachings.info. Hey there, I'm Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings, and like my show, I like to associate with people and companies who are passionate about taking steps to a healthier life. Pro One Water Filters brings you simple-to-use systems for the home, business, and even the shower. They filter fluoride, heavy metals, and more, and their shower heads stop chlorine from being vaporized and inhaled. I've personally used their systems now for five years, and they're worth every penny sincerely. Our other affiliate, US Plus Health, is a small American company specializing in hydrogen peroxide solutions, isopropyl alcohol, and hand sanitizers with no additional ingredients like ethanol, chloride, or methanol. They use 100% U.S. materials at an FDA-registered facility. Their simple, non-toxic formulations are both safe and gentle. They evaporate quickly and leave no residue or stickiness. They're even recommended by the CDC, FDA, and WHO as opposed to other toxic chemicals like QACs. Find links to these affiliates, Pro One Water Filters, and U.S. Plus Health on our website, www.thesecretteachings.info for links, or visit usplushealth.com and type in the promo code TSTCLEAN. The truth is out there, and so are we. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Are you thinking about creating a podcast but don't know where to start? Do you really want to have to learn all this stuff? Individual track processing, enhanced and improved sound quality, edit out those awkward pauses and slips, mix multiple clips and tracks, back volumes, deliver consistent sound, live podcast production, show notes and SEO optimization, episode upload to hosting, live call screening, balance levels and live measure broadcast standards, full branding packages, logo design, podcast site, website, show artwork. Or do you just want to get on the mic and get your ideas out there? The Fringe FM team is here to help with all of your podcasting, audio and video production needs. From simple podcast to audio enhancement, our professional production staff will make it easier than ever to create the podcast you desire. Visit thefringe.fm, join our team, and get jump started on your podcast today. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. 
What are you doing on Wednesdays? I want to invite you to join me, Jess Rogie, the host of The Rogie Report, where I provide commentary and invite guests on to talk about UAPs, conspiracies, current events, nature of reality, consciousness, and of course, the paranormal. Listen to The Rogie Report every Wednesday live at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern here on The Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. For a lot longer than most podcasts have been around, The Secret Teachings has been at the forefront of unique investigation into both the mundane and the extraordinary. Critical thought and controlled speculation allowed us to determine that the much-anticipated UAP report would be vague, unexplained, and would simply imply the need for defense against national security threats. We determined that sonic weapons were the cause of Havana Syndrome a full year before CNN acknowledged the same. We told you about the mind-controlled magic, sex slavery, and intellectual theft in the music industry long before Britney Spears spoke out about her conservatorship, and we've been removed from radio for refusing to censor our show over international child trafficking networks and sex cults long before Epstein didn't kill himself. This has been done with no budget, only your support, and a will to learn and succeed. And you can continue to be a part of The Secret Teachings journey as we broadcast Monday through Friday after lighting the void with Joe Roop, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM, brings you exclusively The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. I swear I'm going to get my family in a bunker. Is this Clark, this uh, interstellar comet? Big news. I don't see Clark. Uh, maybe he's still sleeping. Dad. <laughs> Some of Clark's larger fragments are now expected to enter our atmosphere. That's right. And others are just. What are they saying? More of the same. It's going to make a heck of a show. first chunks is about to hit. Hit? Only part of it. It's going in the ocean. But you look at that. Wait, what is the explosion? We now are getting word that the fragment has hit Central Florida. Oh my God. Wait, are some more pieces going to hit? Come on, let's go. The sky's on fire. Two days. They got it all wrong. There's a ton of fragments. Planet killers. Space agencies are predicting an extinction-level event. We're going to be together, all right? Get them. We're just trying to get to safety. They've been tracking the military flights to bunkers in Greenland. It's their only chance. Where's Dad? We'll find him. It's okay. Clark's largest fragment will hit in less than 24 hours. I swear I'm going to get my family into that bunker. I know you will, son. If you are hearing this broadcast, seek shelter immediately. What is it? What's going on? If you are hearing this broadcast, seek shelter John, immediately. Go. I don't think that... Seek 
shelter immediately. Seek shelter immediately. I'm Ryan Gable, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. It's a movie called Greenland. came out with Gerard Butler a few months ago. It's a movie that I thought was pretty well done. It's about an asteroid or a comet, to be technical, striking Earth. Not even the comet itself at first, just fragments of the comet. Fragments of the comet that Space agencies estimated would miss the planet, or at least that's what they told the public so there wouldn't be panic, while they simultaneously, underhandedly, communicated with certain residences and took those families into private, into safety, in bunkers uh, that were located in places like Greenland. And they took those people on these giant cargo planes Uh, Kind of in secret, you could see the planes flying over, but nobody really knew what was going on. They just thought it was a military exercise or some drill, but they were really moving people uh, days and weeks in advance to these uh, safety facilities to help to preserve some kind of life and some kind of culture and civilization on planet Earth after this comet struck the planet. They knew it was going to strike the planet. They knew it was going to be uh, planet-altering and civilization ending. They knew it was going to be an extinction-level event. That's a very disturbing concept that even though NASA or the European Space Agency or the Chinese or whomever, although they monitor for near-Earth objects, according to the National Near-Earth Object Preparedness Strategy, and there are different classifications of of potentially hazardous or uh, near-Earth objects that can cause certain types of damage, like regional damage. Uh, This document, published in 2016, says that although detection rates are increasing, quote, it is estimated that less than 30% of NEOs, or NEOs, near-Earth objects, large enough to cause regional damage have been identified. Just 30%. And that itself is an estimate. So that makes me think, if that's just an estimate, even if we took that estimate to be 100% accurate, that would mean that there are 70% more near-Earth objects that could cause regional damage, not necessarily life-ending, civilization-ending, but severe damage and cause the loss of life to thousands or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people, depending on where uh, it hit, what the region was that it struck. Uh, the chances of it striking a major city are, are incredibly slim. It's more likely to crash into the ocean and cause a giant tsunami. Uh, there's a lot of movies made about that. Those are always movies that just creep me out. I don't Anything that could be real, like a Twister, that Twister movie scared me as a kid, or Greenland was a pretty eerie movie to watch. Uh, but 70% that are unidentified, that could be or are, at least by this definition, they are NEOs, that they're only estimated they found about 30% of them. These are just the ones that can cause regional damage, according to the NEO preparedness strategy for the, uh, the national strategy for the United States government to protect the homeland. So there's a couple of things that come to mind. One, we're only finding a very small percentage of these things, which means that 
one could essentially come out of nowhere, out of the depths of space, and be on a collision course with Earth right now, and we don't know it. Nobody knows it, even officially, in private, in secret, in some conspiring setting. Nobody knows that this object is coming toward Earth. The other thing it makes me think of is that like the movie Greenland, perhaps authorities know that something is going to strike the planet. And rather than inform the public, they are gathering up precious artifacts and paintings and informing certain people in a, in a lottery based on genetics or based on whatever, uh, that they will be kept safe in the event that there needs to be an emergency evacuation uh, on a case-by-case basis, and those people taken to uh, locations where they will be kept safe from some impending doom, and they might not even for compartmentalized reasons, and so it doesn't leak to the public. Uh, They might not ever be informed of this until days before such an event uh, would occur. Now, Now, that's just the premise of the movie, Greenland, uh, but it made me think uh, about an article that I read. Uh, well, I read it this weekend, but it's from a couple of years ago. Uh, it didn't get a lot of attention, but according to NASA, that asteroid Apophis, the one that was supposed to have a very, very, very good chance of striking the Earth in 2029, and if not in 2029, in 2036 is not actually going to strike the Earth at all, and that the calculations were wrong. So it's kind of the opposite of the movie Greenland. In that movie, they made the wrong calculation, and something struck the planet, but they really didn't make a wrong calculation. They made the right calculation. They knew what was happening. Uh, They were just trying to keep people from panicking. But uh, in this case, NASA is saying, and this is back in... uh, Uh, March of uh, 2021, so just a few months ago, NASA is saying, hey, look, Apophis, God, Lord of Chaos, is not going to strike the Earth. Uh, The next potential date is 2068, and it's probably not going to happen then either. So there's really nothing to worry about. I think, what if there is something to worry about? And even if there is something to worry about, does it really matter? Should we really worry about it if we can't control the situation, if we can't control, stop it, deflect it, do something to it? Should we worry about it? Should the public be told? Those are very important questions that have been discussed. I guarantee it. They've been discussed in the Oval Office, probably. They've been discussed probably in... uh, you know, isolated uh, sessions with members of Congress or the Senate or the intelligence community, NASA, JPL, European Space Agency, you name it. Those are the things that have been discussed because there needs to at least be some form of not only continuity of government after the fact, but there needs to be some form of at least public acknowledgement that, look, governments are trying to develop systems to prevent Armageddon or deep impact from becoming reality. And there are some programs that are doing this. Right now, the Chinese are going to send 
long March 5 rockets into space. And if they hit simultaneously on this asteroid they're looking at, they're hoping that it can divert its course. By 9,000 kilometers. The asteroid they're looking at is called Bennu, a B-type asteroid. They believe it contains molecules that developed when life was first evolving on Earth. That Bennu is an object that could give us some understanding of the origins of life or the origins of the solar system, and the origins of uh, the cosmos, really. Uh, it is, uh, it's a, basically a carbon asteroid with other minerals on it. They estimate it formed 4.5 billion years ago. These are just... You know, estimates, glorified numbers that are pumped out in the media and in science publications. It makes the scientists sound smarter. But this asteroid isn't a threat, and uh, you shouldn't worry about it. Uh, China is just going to experiment on it. This asteroid is supposed to come near Earth in 2175, between then and 2199. And uh, it'll come within 7.5 million kilometers of Earth's orbit and will be classified as potentially hazardous. It has a 1 in 2,700 chance of striking the Earth. So China's doing that, while the United States is planning a similar endeavor for Bennu, called HAMMER, Hypervelocity Asteroid Mitigation Mission for Emergency Response, which would send more material, 400 tons of rocket material, to Bennu, and it would actually do it in a faster capacity than China, taking only two years to reach the asteroid. NASA is also working on the double asteroid redirection test, DART. You might have heard about that a few years ago. It's a planetary defense test of technologies to prevent an impact of Earth by a hazardous object or hazardous asteroid. The spacecraft launch window begins in November Twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. It will launch aboard a SpaceX Falcon Nine rocket from Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. Now, those are two things, really three things, but two asteroids that are being studied right now to develop ways to divert a potentially cataclysmic scenario in the future. However, even if these techniques were perfected and could 10 out of 10 times, prevent an asteroid from striking the Earth or some object from striking the Earth. Call it what you will. There are technical names for these things, comets, asteroids, meteor, meteorites, meteoroids, etc., based on where they're identified and where they are in the atmosphere and if they strike the ground, etc., etc. But there are 70% of near-Earth objects that could cause massive regional damage to the planet that are officially unidentified, and that's just the 70% that's estimated. In terms of, of planet killers or, or you know, asteroids that could cause uh, tsunamis that would wipe out virtually all coastal cities within you know, 100 or 200 miles inland of those coastal cities, these, these are things that uh, fall into different categories as well, and these are things that might might never be seen by astronomers. And literally, something like this could come out of, of nowhere. I mean, you've heard, probably heard scientists say it. It could just pop up from behind the sun, and we'd have just months 
to try to divert this asteroid from striking the Earth. We'd have, in the absolute worst case scenario, we'd have weeks. And even with a system that is virtually perfect in deflecting asteroids, that's if we know about it uh, you know, six, seven, eight months to years in advance. If something happens where we find something within a couple of weeks, there's really probably nothing we can do. Uh, maybe we could blow it apart like the movies. But one study suggests that might not be such a good idea for reasons that you probably wouldn't think. Um, I guess it would depend on how far out this object is, but according to a report in the New York Times in 2019 on a new study that looked at gigantic space rock on space rock collisions, it kind of suggests in the study, in the simulation, uh, how ineffective an asteroid assassination attempt might be. That's what they call it, an asteroid assassination attempt might be. Using computer models, scientists simulated a 4,000-foot asteroid smashing into a 15.5-mile asteroid at 11,200 miles per hour. Immediately after colliding, the large asteroid cracked considerably, with debris flowing outward like a cascade of ping-pong balls. Despite some deep fractures, the heart of the asteroid was not comprehensively damaged. And as time went on, the gravitational pull of the asteroid's resilient core was able to pull back ejected shards. It seems that asteroids don't just absorb mind-boggling amounts of damage. Yeah, uh, 11,200 miles per hour of a 15.5-mile asteroid. That's uh, giant. Hard to put that into perspective. These asteroids don't just absorb this damage, but as previous work in this field has suggested, they're also able to, quote-unquote, rebuild themselves. Now, that sounds something like uh, a machine, but it's really just based on gravity. And uh, that's kind of a scary idea. Uh, I'd like to see a Hollywood-style movie where we, we go up and we Bruce Willis it, and then the asteroid puts itself back together again. You know? That'd be kind of scary. It's just not really a, a happy ending. <laughs> you blow the thing apart, and it pulls itself back together. You know, it reassembles. And that's what scientists were saying in 2019. In April of 2021, Popular Mechanics published an article about scientists from the DOE, the Department of Energy, funded Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory and the U.S. Air Force that were studying ways that humans could detonate nuclear weapons. There's your Hollywood Armageddon solution, as they call it. Detonate nuclear weapons to deflect an asteroid hurtling toward Earth. The entry was placed in Acta Astronautica. The simulated asteroid in the study was 300 meters in diameter, or about 1,000 feet. An asteroid, according to the Popular Mechanics article, this size is hardly hypothetical. As of October 2020, scientists have discovered 9,336 near-Earth object asteroids with diameters greater than 140 meters. 
Of those, scientists have classified 2,122 as potentially hazardous objects. So they say that the risk is very low, but, of course, it's still a possibility. In fact, it's not just a possibility. It's highly probable that there is going to be another event that is going to take place on planet Earth that could be devastating to human civilization. Now, it might not be some kind of uh, Armageddon deep impact-like event, but it could be powerful enough, depending on where it strikes, to cause damage like the June 30th, 1908 Tunguska event. This massive explosion in Russia that lit up the sky in the early morning and leveled trees looking akin to something like a nuclear explosion. Of course, ufologists have suggested that an alien spaceship blew up, but no, it was more like a giant space rock entered the Earth's atmosphere at incredible speed and the pressure and the force of the atmosphere pressed that object and it exploded before it hit the ground. It didn't even strike the ground. And it caused uh, just very iconic damage. Uh, Nobody officially died, uh, although there's speculation that a few people might have perished, um, but it's not like it struck a populated area. Uh, the chances of that happening are very, very unlikely. Uh, but it's not just like a what-if possibility that's fun to talk about on late-night radio, and it's kind of scary. Uh, these are things that are being discussed by the Chinese, by the Americans, by the Russians, uh, by the European Space Agency. Uh, all these agencies, all, all virtually any government with uh, enough money to investigate such things, uh, they're considering it. They're, they're thinking that th- this is a not just a possibility. It's, it's highly probable that something like this is going to happen. And it's highly probable that something like this is going to happen in, uh, in our lifetime. It's, it's very, very probable. In fact, back in 2019, NASA Administrator Jim Burdenstein warned that we need to take the threat of an asteroid impact seriously. He said he knows that it's kind of funny to people, what he called the giggle factor, that people dismiss the topic. But at the International Academy of Astronautics Planetary Defense Conference in College Park, Maryland in 2019, he said, quote, we have to make sure that people understand that this is not about Hollywood. It's not about movies. This is about ultimately protecting the only planet we know right now to host life, and that is planet Earth. He said these events are not rare. They happen. You remember the Chilibinsk incident? That was in our lifetime. It was in the lifetime of the 20th century that Tunguska happened. And Burdenstein says that it's likely we are going to see something that is going to be 
uh, incredible, uh, potentially devastating, that something like this is going to happen probably in our lifetime. Uh, That could mean next week. That could mean next year. Uh, It's not something that we need to be so afraid of that we can't go to sleep at night, Uh, but it's something that we need to think about, something that we need to be aware of. I mean, we're afraid of everything from, you know, tiny little particles that are unidentified that you really can't isolate or haven't been isolated that might or might not cause people to get sick. We're, we're really afraid of the color of people's skin or or not, you know, not representing some social movement that, that protects the color of someone's skin or their gender identity. We're so scared of not saying what we want to say because what are other people going to think? If we're going to be scared of something, maybe we should be scared of something like this. I don't want you to be scared, but i got to be honest with you, it's a little bit uh, unnerving. It's a little bit, uh, it's eerie. I'm sitting here in the studio tonight, and there's just a little bit of, little bit of light coming in through the window. And uh, I remember the, the last movie I watched that really freaked me out. I, I watched all kinds of stuff that's like, you know, intended to be scary. Uh, B movies and new movies, you know, CG stuff, old stuff. And those movies really don't scare me like about demons or like you watch The Nun or The Conjuring. But I watched the movie Greenland and that movie really scared me. It gave, it gave me an eerie feeling. It was, I think it was well done. So that's what gave me the feeling. It was very eerie. I just felt like, like that could happen. This could happen. Um, and it's not just my opinion. It's uh, NASA administrator in 2019, Jim Burdenstein said that we need to take this seriously. Uh, th- we, 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 we understand that people think it's funny, but this is not something that's funny. So we need to take it seriously. And if you don't take it seriously, well, uh, I guess for the first time in a long time, well, the government is doing something that's good. The government is taking it seriously. How seriously? Well, not too seriously, but they're certainly taking it seriously. However, beyond how serious the government might be taking it, Perhaps they're taking it too serious, uh, or maybe they're just having a little bit of fun. Because we know that NASA programs, NASA projects have been named after gods and goddesses and after mythological uh, beings and creatures. And we know that, uh, you know, constellations and uh, asterisms, uh, you know, they vary by culture to culture, but they're generally seen in the same way because we all look up at the sky and we see uh, virtually the same thing. Uh, Things that have been uh, observed long before uh, Greco-Roman times, but this is where a lot of the the names uh, and the deities come from. Uh, There's various versions of them in older cultures and traditions, but, you know, we've always looked up into the stars because we've wanted to we've wanted wanted to understand where we come from, what the point of life is, and and we want to understand um, you know, the cycles of time uh, so that we can regulate fertility and uh, planting and, and, and harvesting, agriculture, fishing and navigation. These are very important things. So NASA has traditionally named their programs after gods and after goddesses. Perhaps the most famous of all is Apollo. And tonight... July 20th, 2021, is the anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission. July 20th, 1969, 
the first manned mission to the moon. Maybe you don't believe that man went to the moon. Fine, I respect that. I have my own questions about the visuals of what we see, the photographs, etc. But just for the reference point, tonight is that anniversary. It's been over 50 years, 1969. It's been over 50 years, Apollo 11 anniversary. And Apollo, we know, It's a very powerful figure in mythology. Apollo also had a twin named Artemis. Artemis is the name of the 2024 moon mission. A lot of these names from NASA came from a guy named Abe Silverstein. And a lot of the names that we know about that are famous, like Apollo and uh, the Mercury missions, because Mercury um, uh, is the messenger of the gods. We put uh, people in space. Uh, Apollo is... uh, named after the god Apollo, uh, who rides a chariot across the sky, across the sun, uh, the Saturn rocket program, Atlas, and, and, and so many more. Uh, mythology is a, is a vast pool that science, scientists, space agencies, and others pull from in order to provide some type of... Uh, foundational, I would say, authority to the things that they're working on and and to get the public interested in in what those things are. Uh, It sure gets me interested when I hear that NASA is calling the next moon mission Artemis because then, oh, I could sit here and I could tell you about Artemis and Apollo and it's, it's good radio and it gets the public excited. But let's go back very, very quickly to China's attempt to alter the direction of an asteroid called Bennu. They're launching Long March 5 rockets, and the U.S. is launching a program called Hammer to do the same thing to the same asteroid in a shorter amount of time. They're going to try to divert the course of it. It's not a threat. Uh, But Bennu is important. Uh, Bennu was studied by the OSIRIS-REx, and in May of this year, on April uh, uh, 9th, Uh, the article published in May, NASA announced that the Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer, that's a mouthful, Osiris REX, spacecraft took a last look at Bennu, the asteroid, and it is heading back to Earth. It's going to jettison the sample of the asteroid, and we are going to have a look at that. Uh, in a laboratory somewhere, at least that's what they tell us. They also tell us that a boy, a nine-year-old boy from North Carolina, won a Name That Asteroid competition, a collaboration between the mission, the Planetary Society, and the Linear Asteroid Survey that discovered Bennu, and uh, that's where the name Bennu came from. And I thought, well, this little boy must be very, very well-versed in ancient mythology for being nine years old because of the significance of naming this asteroid, or any asteroid for that matter, Bennu. And then NASA following it up with naming their probe Osiris. It's very important, it's very significant, the reasons why they did this. There is a ritualistic nature to it, an occult theme, if you will. Uh, There is an esoteric undercurrent 
from Apollo and Artemis to Bennu and Osiris. These are things that you might say that belongs in mythology class or that belongs in some sociology discussion uh, about culture and ideas or a Joseph Campbell book or that belongs on the secret teachings. But scientists are using these names and I think that they're using them for, for different reasons. But the main reason is because it speaks to us. There's a long, long history of these characters and these archetypes, and they speak to us on a subconscious and a conscious level, and they make us think, and they tell us things that are much more easily described in symbols than they are in direct rudimentary language. And that's why they named these programs Osiris or Ben, you know, asteroids Bennu or programs like Apollo or Artemis or Mercury or Atlas because it has power and it becomes a sigil and it protects uh, the people working on those missions, especially if they go into space. It protects the mission itself, the idea of it, and it represents a, a, a leap forward for mankind in the using of those symbols and sigils. It's a very, very important part of human society, culture, and civilization. And we use it in science as much as we use it in magic and occultism, spirituality, philosophy, psychology, whatever you want to call it. I think it's fascinating, and I'm going to tell you all about it in detail after this break. www.thesecretteachings.info That's the website. Subscribe. Get access to the archive, the montages, the books, everything. www.thesecretteachings.info I'm Ryan Gable. Stay with us. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings and Fringe FM, but most importantly, it supports you. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out The Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's The Fringe FM. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. 
Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Something is going to hit the Earth again. Just when you thought you have enough trouble to deal with on planet Earth, guess what? Now there's a massive asteroid. I'm Ryan Gable, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings Radio, broadcasting Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM. That was part of a commercial for a movie called Greenland, but the remainder of the montage, the remainder of the compilation, is one that I put together for another asteroid comet show we did probably about a year ago now. We do a couple of, couple of these shows a year. It's in the archive on the website. There is a montage archive. You get access to that when you subscribe to the show. Uh, I've gotten a lot of emails recently about subscriptions. I wanted to take just a moment to explain this uh, to those of you who might be a little bit confused. When you subscribe to the show through PayPal, uh, whether you use a card or use your PayPal account, uh, you will have an automatic link generated for you. Uh, That link, when it comes to your email, you can click it, and it takes about 10 seconds to set up the account, just a username and a password, and it's pretty much it. It's pretty simple. Uh, Sometimes the website doesn't generate that, or it goes to spam. So if you sign up, and you don't see the link, and you don't see it in spam, don't panic. You didn't get ripped off. Just email me. I'll handle it personally. Nobody else looks at the emails but me. And I'll just go to the website and I'll have to generate you a link from the account because it still registers on the website. Uh, It just does not send the link sometimes for some reason. And uh, not sure what the reason for that is. A lot of times it also goes to spam uh, and people don't see it that way or it gets dumped right into your trash bin. Not sure uh, how all this works, but it's pretty simple to fix. Just email me and I will uh, set up the account for you. Uh, It'll have the uh, amount that you paid for the month, the week, the year, etc. And I'll just create the uh, little account link and I'll send that to you. So you can access the archive with all of our past shows. And you can see how we blend together things like popular conspiracy, the music industry, occultism, magic, philosophy, psychology, parapsychology, the paranormal, psychic and paranormal and UFO and unexplainable phenomena. We talk about history. We talk about mythology. We talk about archetypes. We talk about a lot of things here on The Secret Teachings. And some people are confused by what this show is. And some people are confused in the sense that they just don't get it at all. And other people are confused. uh, Just a handful of people, really. It's not, not a lot. But some people are confused because they think that it's some political talk show. No, this is a show where we explore pretty much anything and everything. And tonight we're exploring a little bit of science and a little bit of mythology. Because the Chinese are launching Long March 5 rockets. According to the Chinese government and their space agency, July 2021, this month, they are planning to launch rockets... They might launch them next month, but this is the report. They're planning to launch rockets to intercept an asteroid. It's going to take a couple of years to get there. But an asteroid 
so they can experiment on deflecting potentially devastating cataclysmic civilization ending asteroids in the future from hitting Earth. The United States is going to do the same thing to the same asteroid in a program called HAMMER, H-A-M-M-E-R, HAMMER, Hypervelocity Asteroid Mitigation Mission for Emergency Response. The asteroid that they're looking at is called Bennu. It's not dangerous, it's not deadly, might cause a lot of damage if it hit the planet, but it's not probably going to hit the planet. Because scientists have made the calculations. And these calculations that they made, uh, they're saying this thing won't be near us until almost 2200. The year 2200. That's a long time from now, of course. Uh, But scientists were also wrong about the asteroid Apophis that they said might come very near the planet in 2029 and again in 2036. And then they said, well, that's not really right. Uh, Now it's going to be 2068 and... And they said, well, that's actually not really right either. In fact, it's probably not going to uh, affect us at all. There should be no threat whatsoever from the God or the Lord of chaos and destruction, Apophis. And that's according to a March 2021 NASA statement. There's no threat from Apophis. And there's no threat from Bennu, but there might be threats from other objects. Now, when you look at the asteroid Bennu, you could go to space.com, NASA's website, You just type it in and you'll see uh, that NASA has been using a space probe, an asteroid probe, if you will. So we've been probing space as opposed to the aliens probing us. We've been looking at this asteroid. Uh, According to NASA, and I say according to NASA because I don't know, maybe it's all fake. But according to NASA, their Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer It's a huge mouthful. Uh, OSIRIS. The OSIRIS spacecraft recently, on April 9th of 2021, took a last look at the asteroid Bennu, where it scooped up samples in October of last year, and it began a return to Earth by 2023. It's going to deliver a sample of material, that was supposedly left over from the formation of our solar system so that researchers can analyze this on Earth. NASA said in a May 11, 2021 publication on their website, for two years, OSIRIS, R-E-X, studied the asteroid, revealing the many secrets of this ancient body and delivering clues about its rubble pile-like consistency and surface terrain, which turned out to be much rockier and more rugged than initially expected from the observations of ground-based telescopes. Now Osiris is on the way home, coming back to Earth. NASA is not only studying this asteroid, they're also using the HAMMER program to try to experiment on deflecting future devastating cataclysmic and potential cataclysmic asteroid impacts. They're also launching the DART mission, in November of this year, 2021, the double asteroid redirection test called DART. And the Department of Energy funding the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, and of course the U.S. Air Force is involved. They're looking into a new study published in Acta Astronautica taking a nuclear device 
and using it to deflect an asteroid. And that's an interesting concept. Uh, we saw it in the movie Armageddon. How much of that movie Armageddon was influenced by governmental uh, policy or, or experimentation or ideas? Uh, it's like a lot of movies, possibly so. That's in 2021 in April, just recently, just a few months ago. This is what the DOE was, was financing, and that's what they were studying. Uh, but a couple of years ago, a new study came out in 2019, as discussed by the New York Times. The headline, if we blow up an asteroid, it might put itself back together. It's a scary thing to think about. Using some kind of uh, device to blow an asteroid up, and in, in this study, they used computer models, which we you know we know how reliable those are, and it's they're not I don't think very reliable, uh, or they're reliable some of the time, not all the time. Uh, but what they experimented on in this uh, this computer model simulation was a four thousand foot asteroid smashing into a fifteen point five mile asteroid at eleven thousand two hundred miles an hour. These are these are big. These are big, big objects. Five, uh, 15.5 mile asteroid being smashed into by a 4,000 foot asteroid at over 11,000 miles an hour. And they found that the, the core remained intact. Debris cascaded off of it. Uh, deep fractures appeared. Uh, but the heart of the asteroid was uh, not really that damaged. And over time, the gravitational pull of the asteroid's core pulled back the ejected shards. So a nuclear weapon might be a little bit different, but it might just be better to rendezvous uh, a couple of space probes and use the tractor beam solution, uh, the gravitational pull of those objects, or maybe just to nudge it a little bit to move it off course. That's what NASA and other agencies are studying right now. And one of those asteroids is called Bennu. And one of the probes they've been using to study it is called OSIRIS. Well, OSIRIS, as most of you know, if you listen to this show, one of my favorite myths, the story of OSIRIS and Set. And Isis and Nephthys and others are also involved. Uh, I love that story. Uh, and I've talked about it recently because it relates to the story of George Floyd. Uh, here you have a man who was not really a, a savory character uh, from uh, aggressive uh, assault uh, of a pregnant woman or just anybody in general for that matter, uh, uh, drug dealing, uh, pornography, counterfeiting, etc., uh, resisting arrest, uh, uh, basically choking himself to death and giving himself a heart attack on video, uh, being on large amounts of fentanyl and having no damage done to his neck in the autopsy. Uh George Floyd was a black man who really wasn't a, a great member of, of, of society. His friends might have been. They weren't beaten by the police. But George Floyd really wasn't a great guy. Didn't know him. Maybe he was a great guy, but didn't, from his rap sheet, didn't look like he was a great guy. So he wasn't really a great guy, but the media turned him into a god. Turned him into a, a black prince. And he became iconic of a movement. And when he died... They placed his body into a golden coffin. That story is something we've discussed on this show many times in great detail. That's this the, the introduction to it. And I've included it in my book, The Technological Elixir, in detail. Or you can read the original Osiris story in my book, Occult Arcana, both of which are available on the website www.thesecretteachings.info. And I'd be happy to autograph it for you. It's free shipping in the United States, and we do ship around the world. 
But this story of Osiris is fascinating. Osiris was placed in a golden coffin. Osiris was known as the black god, as well as the green god. The green god of agriculture, the black god of both agriculture, black for soil, and also death. Osiris was the god of nature. He is a god of living, dying, and being reborn. He was reborn as Horus, the hawk-headed god. Osiris was known as the god of the dead. He oversaw the underworld. It's kind of like Pluto. Osiris, as a child, was the son of the sky. The sky goddess Nut and the earth god Geb. His significance is related in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, where he is given over a hundred plus names. If you don't know Osiris, he's a very important dude. Osiris also manifested in many different forms. He manifested in animals, uh, from bulls and rams to goats. And perhaps his most iconic form, to those who have read the mythology, is the Bennu bird. The Bennu bird is a symbol of death and resurrection, like Osiris and like the phoenix. The phoenix, Bennu, Osiris, these are solar symbols. Of course, Osiris is the sun of the sky, the sun god, the sun of the sky goddess, Nut, and the sky god, or the earth god, Geb, rather. He is the sun of the heavens. He is essentially Jesus. He is resurrected as Horus. Now, the Bennu bird. Let's, let's consider the Bennu bird. This is this asteroid named after Bennu. NASA says on their website, August 8, 2019, a couple of years ago, Asteroids features to be named after mythical birds. And they talk about the Osiris REX mission. And they also talk about how the asteroid Bennu was named. They say Bennu was named in 2013 by a nine-year-old boy from North Carolina who won the Name That Asteroid competition. A collaboration between the mission, the Planetary Society, and the Linear Asteroid Survey that discovered Bennu. The Bennu bird, in mythology was thought to be the Ba of Ra. Now, for those of you who don't know what this is, I'll break it down very, very simply. The Ba, the B-A, the Ba, is the Egyptian soul. The Ka, K-A, is known as the life force. Now, you've probably seen a symbol or two relating to this. It's a little bird with a human or a pharaoh-like head on it. This is the soul of the pharaoh, the soul of, of, of the person. Now, the Bennu bird was thought to be the ba, or the soul, of Re or Ra, the chief god of Egypt. The Bennu bird was the bird that flew over the primeval water and landed on a rock. Its crying broke the silence of non-creation and determined through that crying, through that vibration, through God spoke. God said, let there be. And what unfolded as a result of the Bennu bird's cry was creation. One could argue recreation, rebirth. The scream of the phoenix as it turns into ash after erupting in flames to be reborn in its own ashes, born again like a Christian, born again like a Pharaoh, born again like the many 
members of the ancient mystery schools of Greece or of Egypt. The sanctuary of the Banu bird was the same sanctuary of Ra and Osiris. The sanctuary of the Banu bird was in Heliopolis. Heliopolis, of course, the city of Helios. Helios is the sun. We have the Helios viewer. The Helios viewer is an object that views the sun. It's a device, a machine that views the sun. Heliopolis is the city of the sun. This is where the sanctuary of Bennu is located. The sanctuary of Bennu, or Ra and Osiris, is called Het Benben. Het Benben means house of the obelisk. We know what an obelisk represents. It represents the phallus. It's a symbol of male generation. It's a symbol of sexuality. It's a symbol of active forces. It's part of the yin-yang, the black and the white, the yab-yum. The stone-like obelisk is symbolic of Atum's landing place in Egyptian myth. Atum's landing place in myth Atum being one of the creator gods of Egypt and the world, Atum's landing place is the Bin-Bin stone, or the Pyramidion, the Pyramidion. So, NASA, or maybe a nine-year-old boy from North Carolina, names the asteroid Bennu. This nine-year-old boy, I'd like to have a conversation with him. He's, what, now... 11 years old. It's 2021. He's nine years old. Uh, uh, actually, he's much older than that now. Bennu was named in 2013, so this, this kid's like uh, 17 years old now. Uh, but that's a lot for, for a nine-year-old to know. If, if he knows that, good for him. Uh, he picked this name. But nine-year-old boys were not picking the names of Apollo or Artemis for the 2024 moon mission. Uh, nine-year-old boys... Uh, weren't picking the names for the Mercury mission or for uh, Atlas or for the Saturn rockets. People working at NASA were doing that. And and one might question, why so much interest in mythology? Well, I argued in my book, Occult Arcana, the first couple of chapters, that science has replaced God. And now man's arrogance is even using science to replace science so that man can become the dominant godlike figure. Uh, and in that argument, I talked about mythology and how myth, in an attempt to understand the world, things were mythologized and archetyped so that stories could be told and ideas could be translated and passed along from generation to generation. Myth was, in essence, the first form of scientific observation. Observing the world, cataloging it, marking it, and attempting to understand it through recognizing patterns, the patterns and archetypes and the patterns and symbols. And in this attempt to understand these things, we developed these complex myths. Various cultures around the world developed the exact same myths. They might just call the, the name of, of a god or a goddess, something different, but it's the same exact principle that manifested in that culture. So myth is science. And astrology and astronomy used to be one and the same until, I don't know, about the, about the, was the 1700s or 1700s around that time, when they started to, to, 
to break from one another. But see, if NASA is still using these names and they're letting nine-year-old boys, you know, pick out very, very, very relevant names for asteroids, then clearly there's a reason just beyond, uh, you know, somebody at NASA being interested in mythology or, you know, it, it goes beyond, you know, just trying to get the public interested in these things. You know, people aren't really interested in mythology. That that's like, <laughs> If you named an asteroid like Cardi B or you named an asteroid the Stallion, people might want to learn about astrophysics. <laughs> if you named an asteroid Dr. Asteroid Fauci, people might want to learn about that asteroid, you know, or Kim, the Kim Kardashian comet, Kim's comet. Not, you know, F. Haley's comet, it's Kim's comet, Kim Kardashian's comet. You know, it's got a big back end. <laughs> you know, maybe people would be interested in that. Why they why do they pick mythology? Well, because myth and symbolism, it is the 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 cornerstone, the foundation of human society and culture. It is the foundation that allows us to communicate with each other across language barriers, cultural differences. Our myths, our stories are virtually all the same. They're just called different things, different names, but they all mean the same thing. And we can communicate that and understand that subconsciously. That's where the communication happens. And uh, perhaps NASA understands that. And maybe NASA doesn't understand that. It seems like they do. Atlas, Saturn, Artemis, Apollo, Mercury, Bennu. And they pick Greek names even for things like the... the uh, the other thing they're working on, I think it's called Didymus or something, the Didymus uh, asteroid. They're looking at that too. Uh, and the Didymus asteroid, a Didym- it's like a binary asteroid. Didymus is Greek for twin. So even when they're not naming it after a god or goddess, they're going into uh, Greek or Roman uh, times and they're pulling out words that uh, can be used to identify these objects. I, I don't know. I, just, I, think it's, I think it's interesting. and I just wanted to share all that with you tonight. My view, my thought. Uh, we talked a little bit about Tunguska and other things, uh, but I also think uh, you know we could reserve some time on another show to talk a little bit more once again about Oumuamua, the first known interstellar object directly passing through our solar system. I think that could be discussed in a little bit more detail, and it could be discussed alongside of what we are talking about tonight on the Secret Teachings. I hope that you enjoyed the show tonight because I had a really, really good time. It's the anniversary of Apollo 11. It just came together like this. I didn't even realize it was the anniversary until uh, until this weekend, but I had had this show planned since uh, it was probably like Thursday evening. I, re- I read this this article about China using rockets to stop Bennu and, you know, move it out of, you know, direction of Earth just as a test. It, it wasn't anything more than that. And, and uh, the United States is doing the same thing with a pro- project called Hammer. Uh, I think it's fascinating, and I think these are things that um, that th- that can help reshape also late night radio. This is the kind of thing that that we should also be talking about. Uh, I don't feel that it's divisive, uh, and I don't feel that it's stale. I-, I think it's fresh. So I wanted to share this with you tonight on the broadcast. I appreciate you listening. Um, I encourage you to go, go to the website, www.thesecretteachings.info. You can subscribe to the archive to get access to all the shows, download them, stream them, every single show, literally every show. It's in the archive. 
You also get access to the montages. That's a big archive, too. Over 70 montages. Montage from tonight's show is in that archive. You get access to all my digital books, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, and the Technological Elixir. I don't promote them enough, but please go to the website. Look at those books. They each have their own page. Read the reviews from other authors and radio hosts. Grab a copy of one of those books digitally or physically. It's free shipping in the United States. The details are all there. If you have questions about that or anything else, email me at rdgable, rdgable at yahoo.com. And check out our affiliate sponsors, Pro One and US Plus Health, on the website, on the slider bar at the top of the page. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM, airing Monday through Friday. The music tonight, White Bat Audio. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Tonight's broadcast of The Secret Teachings. But don't worry, you can still catch us Monday through Friday right here exclusively on the Fringe FM. You can also subscribe to the show and montage archive while grabbing my books at thesecretteachings.info. 